podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moeller, and we're joined today by my co-host, Rose, and we are interviewing Carly Sharon. Hi, Carly. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? We're amazing. We are so excited you're here. Wondering if you just kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your research, and what got you interested in your topic. Yeah, so I'm in my first year of my master's in biology, and I'm doing my thesis at Agriculture Canada, and I'm working on a project where I'm developing uh, vaccine candidates to prevent salmonella infection in chickens. Um, I got interested in this work. Uh, my su current supervisor had actually given a talk in one of my third year genetics courses, and I thought the work that they were doing in their lab was so interesting, and um, I did my undergrad thesis there in fourth year and then wanted to uh, continue working there for my master's as well. Wow, and so, you know, maybe just break that down a little bit. We've heard salmonella, certainly it's something that uh, is very popular in media, but why don't you just break that down, tell us a little bit of what that is. Yeah, so salmonella is a bacteria um, that commonly can infect humans. Uh, usually humans get infected by consuming undercooked uh, chicken or sometimes through uh, raw eggs. Um, and the issue with salmonella is that uh, chickens can carry um, large numbers of the bacteria without displaying any symptoms. So you can have a whole flock of poultry that could be infected and um, majority of them, won't, you won't even know that they're sick. So that's how it can make its way into um, our food system. Mm. And so it sounds like it's one of those things that, you know, detection is really key. So how do we sort of prevent it from getting into our food system? Yeah, so there's a lot of different techniques that farmers can use to try and prevent it. Um, one thing is they can implement strict kind of biosecurity measures on their farms, which is um, things such as making sure everyone that visits the farm has sanitized shoes and everything is clean going into the poultry flocks. Um, making sure that no rodents or other pests that could possibly carry salmonella get in there, making sure that their water and everything is clean. Um, there's also some measures that can be implemented uh, when the chickens go for slaughter. So the carcasses can actually be washed, which is a common practice, but is actually um, banned in some places of the world. They don't want to use things like antibiotics and stuff to wash um, their food. There's a lot of safety concerns there. Um, so kind of the main prevention strategy is vaccination. Um, but as you can imagine, vaccinating chickens is probably uh, quite the task. I couldn't imagine having to do that. But um, the vaccines that they currently have um, have some drawbacks. So one type of vaccine that they have is called a live attenuated vaccine, where the vaccine actually contains a live version of the salmonella bacteria, but it has been mutated such that it uh, can't cause um, infection within the birds. Um, but this can cause some safety concerns because it's been shown that the bacteria can actually uh, mutate back to an infectious form. Um, so yeah, there's some safety concerns with using that type of vaccine. Then there's another type um, that's an inactivated vaccine where it's a killed version of the salmonella uh, bacteria, but these have shown that they're not entirely infective, effective and the chickens often need um, a booster dose. Um, and then they also have what's called um, subunit vaccines, which is what I'm working on in my project, where the vaccine just contains a protein, uh, commonly one that's displayed on the surface of the salmonella bacteria. Um, and these are generally effective. These are generally much safer than the other uh, vaccines, but there's some concerns regarding the effectiveness of them. So that's kind of where my project comes into play. 
Yes, that's really interesting. So, I mean, obviously you kind of touched on the fact that vaccinating all of the chickens is obviously like a very hard job. I assume that would take a very long time. Um, is, is there any way of, I guess, making it so that you don't have to vaccinate all of them? Like, is there any sort of um, like herd immunity or anything like that that you, you're working towards or? Yeah, I'm not too sure about uh, herd immunity. I know a lot with a lot of the vaccines, they're looking at ways that they can vaccinate um, the mothers and then they pass it on mm. to the chicks. So then you kind of eliminate some need there. And there's yeah. also uh, read where they are actually trying to like administer the vaccine to the eggs. Um, so there's some kind of ways they can, um, what's the word, um, do that quickly. I guess they have some kind of elaborate system, but actually with my project, so I'm working on producing these proteins in plants um, that could be used as a vaccine for these chickens with the idea that we could actually feed leaf tissue containing these proteins to the chickens to induce um, immunity against salmonella. So that would eliminate the um, issues associated with vaccinating them. And, you know, in terms of a vaccination, you mentioned um, the, the booster. So, you know, when sort of would the chickens need to be getting the vaccination and when would they need to get the booster if they were to, if they were to get that booster shot? Um, I'm not too sure about that because the booster is with the um, inactivated vaccines and it's not, um, that's not what I'm looking at with my project per se. Um, and in terms of when they get the vaccine, um, like I had said to Rose, um, a lot of the vaccines they give to the mothers. So then it's passed to the gotcha. chicks through um, the mothers. And ideally they would definitely want to be vaccinated um, in the early stages because chicks are highly susceptible to um, bacterial infections as their immune system isn't um, developed within the first couple of days. That's really fascinating. I, I I find this really interesting that you're able to do this and kind of create this through plants because I just I guess in my head I'm just envisioning someone having to go around and actually give needles and vaccines to all these chickens. So I think that that is just I, I feel like that's such a smart way of doing it. Um, I do want to ask. I feel as though on on the theme of COVID, I feel like I'd be amiss if I didn't bring that up. Have you found that COVID has made your research um, harder or easier, or has it has it really stayed the same for what you're doing? Um, it was difficult. So um, our lab shut down back in March when everything started off. So um, I didn't actually start my master's until um, September but um, we weren't allowed back and students at least weren't allowed back in our lab until I think early December, mid-December. So that kind of um, threw a wrench in my plan starting off my um, project. And, but now going forward, it hasn't been interrupted too much. Um, we're only allowed one person in the lab at a time. So we're on like strict, I get to go in from 6 a.m. to noon. So that's been a adjustment. But other than that, it, it hasn't been affected too much. I'm lucky I've been able to go into the lab and do my work. I know other people haven't been as fortunate. So yeah. And in terms of sort of where you're at, what are you kind of hoping that that you'll um, be able to add to the research already? Or are you in a position to share sort of what your early findings are that you found so far? Yeah. Um. So what I'm doing is so as I mentioned with the um, subunit vaccines, it's a protein from salmonella. And one problem with these vaccines is when you're trying to just express a protein on its own or formulate a protein on its own for a vaccine, there's some issues with the stability of the protein. 
sometimes isn't presented to the immune system in an ideal way. And some researchers have found that this can be improved by displaying these proteins on um, different kind of carrier display platforms, um, such as protein nanoparticles, which is what I'm using in my project. So protein nanoparticles are um, single protein subunits that can then assemble into multi subunit kind of stable um, structures. And what people have found is that if you display, you can display other proteins on these protein nanoparticles, which aids in their stability and display to the immune system. So for my project, I'm um, taking a surface protein from salmonella and displaying it on one of these nanoparticles um, and producing it in plants and doing some experiments to see whether these nanoparticles can effectively display this protein, which would be important for down the line using this as a vaccine, as the protein needs to be displayed to the immune system of the chickens in order to, um, for them to develop immunity. Um, so yeah, I guess in terms of contributing to the work, if um, these proteins that I'm making are successful and are shown that they can be produced and are displaying properly, um, they, they could possibly be used in the future for a vaccine after there being further testing and such to make sure they can actually induce an immune response. So some animal trials and things that have to be done there, but yeah. Yeah, because I would think if you're doing it on plants that eventually they would have to be trialed on the actual chickens at some point. Yes, definitely, yeah. Do you have a, like any idea of timeline for that? Like, are you, are you near that stage or do you feel as though there's still a bit of work left to be done before that stage? Oh, near animal trials? Yeah. No, no, not even <laughs> close. No. So I've, um, I've, so far I've made five different kind of candidate um, vaccines and I've found that I can, they can be produced in plants and um, high levels of this protein can be produced in plants, which is um, great uh, for going down the line with using that as um, a way to vaccinate the chickens. Um, but so kind of where I'm at in my project is I found that these can be expressed in plants and that they express at high levels, but going forward, I need to uh, purify these proteins from the leaf tissue and then examine them using microscopy to see if they're um, assembling in the way that I want them to. And if um, my protein from salmonella is being um, displayed properly. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, if promising results are seen, that's when we'd kind of go into looking at doing trials in mice per se. And um, first we'd probably actually inject the mice with the protein to see if they're able to um, develop antibodies against the proteins through injection. And then if, if we see promising results there, then move into feeding trials where we actually feed the mice um, some of the leaf tissue to see if they can um, develop um, antibodies that way as well. And then, further down the line would definitely be chickens, but yeah, it's, it's a ways away. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. I'm not, I'm not in the sciences. I don't know if you can tell by my lack of knowledge <laughs> on the topic, but uh, no, that's really interesting. Thank you. I am also not in the sciences. And so I wonder what uh, leaf tissue is. Oh, it's just, um, um, so I guess I don't know how to explain this without like going into a ton of detail, but leaf tissue essentially is just like leaves from the plant. So to express these proteins in, in the plants, we actually use these bacteria called agrobacteria. So the agrobacteria carry the gene that encodes the protein that I want to express in the plant. And these bacteria naturally infect plants. So we can literally just grow up a bunch of these bacteria in a liquid culture and inject it into the leaf of the plant. And then the plant 
it produces that protein because the bacteria infect the cells in the plant and basically kind of um, hijack the, the uh, plants, um, yeah, the plant cells to produce this protein that we want to produce in the leaves. Wow, growing a liquid bacteria sounds immensely complex. Is it one of those multi-stage, multi-dimensional processes? It just sounds like you would need to be very tightly controlled. Um, no, it's not as difficult as you think. You really just grow some on like a petri dish with some media, and then you just pick a colony that grows and you dip it into some, um, it's called LB broth. It just contains kind of all the nutrients that the cells need to grow, and then they they replicate pretty fast and kind of a two, three day process. It's, it's really not too complex. <laughs> <laughs> I am also in the non-sciences. Uh, so yes. That's awesome. Question? Yeah. So you said that you, at, like at this stage, I guess you kind of figured out five different proteins. Um, are you able to talk about, about, I guess, the differences between those or are they like extremely similar? There's just small differences or, or how yeah. have you, how have you, narrowed it down to five, I guess. Yeah, so um, it's all the same kind of, like I said, we're using a nanoparticle and it's all the same nanoparticles that's like the base that's displaying my salmonella protein. And then across the five, they are all very similar. It's just a different portion of the same protein from salmonella. So I've identified one protein, um, a surface protein from salmonella that um, seems to be a, a good target for a vaccine. And then I've just made five different candidates that contain a different chunk of that protein, essentially. Makes sense. Could you maybe just expand on nanoparticles a little bit? Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's just a, a protein that is a single, I guess, if you guys aren't in science, I'm going <laughs> to explain this simpler. So, um, Let's just, maybe this analogy will work. Say you have a one Lego brick and you could have like 60 of those Lego brick, that same Lego brick come together. That's kind of what a protein nanoparticle is. You have this one protein that then multiple copies of itself come together to form this larger protein. Whoa, you can have like 10 to 60 copies of this protein that all come together into this stable protein structure. Gotcha. That's really cool. It sounds a little black mirror-esque, but very cool. Yeah, I like that analogy. I, I, I think that kind of explained it very well for me. Yes. I yes. like that. Good analogies for the non-scientists, absolutely. <laughs> Hi, science major here and also future. <laughs> Just wanted to pipe in here for a second, very quickly. Um, the yeah. whole point of this podcast is to strengthen your science communication. So good for you for using that analogy because that's what we do here. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad it made sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was really good. I like that a lot. Um, okay, I guess we've heard a lot about your research. I feel like I, I have as good of an understanding as a history major could have about what the scientific research you're doing. Um, what have you kind of been doing outside of your research with, with your grad life and everything? Honestly, with the whole lockdown, not uh, too much. <laughs> um, I don't know, I guess in terms of hobbies, I really like cooking. So I do a lot of cooking when I'm not. Uh, what have you been cooking? Oh, anything and everything. I, I love just reading through like cookbooks and recipe blogs and stuff and just trying new things. So, yeah. Nice. I feel like that's a great hobby to have right now. <laughs> also, okay, quick. I'm piping back in. Sorry. Quick question. Oh, go for it. Um, I may have missed this part in the, in the 
uh, in the total interview. But do you play with baby chicks all day? No, I don't see chickens at all. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> Just thought. I, I don't know though. I think if I saw them, I would be. I, I don't know because if I saw them and I knew that they were eventually going to grow up to not necessarily live forever because a lot of chickens get slaughtered, I think I'd be really sad. So it could be a good thing and a blessing. Well, it's um, kind of the funny thing. Christmas. I mostly like eat vegetarian, but here I am working on vaccines to keep chickens healthy so we can eat them. So kind of <laughs> conflicting there. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it's, it's important research to be done. I mean, the vast oh, majority of yep. the population is still not vegetarian, right? Yep. So I'm yep. also myself vegetarian. <laughs> so I, I understand where you're coming from, but I, yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we hear so much about sal salmonella poisoning. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's kind of been interesting to just learn a little bit more, more about like what it actually is and how it actually transmits and, and how it can actually make people sick. Do you think that maybe kind of on that topic of salmonella, could you touch on a little bit more kind of how people do get sick with salmonella? Like, how does it go? Like, could you get salmonella from eggs as well as just the chickens or, cause I don't, to be honest, I don't really know that much about it. So that might yeah, be- Yeah, that's a great question. I don't yeah. Think, yeah. yeah, that is a good question. Um. I'm not an expert on the actual like infection and stuff, but basically um, the, when the chickens get infected with salmonella, it can basically infect their entire body. So when they go for slaughter, basically like every portion of that chicken could contain salmonella. So humans often get it through, if you eat undercooked chicken, the temperature is not high enough to kill off any salmonella that's there and that's how you can get sick. Also through um, undercooked eggs, same thing. If, they don't reach high enough temperature, the bacteria can still be there. Um, sorry, I forget kind of what your question was. <laughs> kind of what it's like when people get sick with salmonella, like what is that yeah. process? How do people get sick and yeah, the best way to treat it? Yeah, so it's basically through like undercooked poultry products like chicken and eggs, but you can also get it through if you're in contact with the sick birds. So if you go to a, a poultry farm where there's sick birds or you come in contact with their feces, it can be spread. That way as well but yeah most the most common way humans get sick is through um chicken eating chicken and um undercooked eggs and that's always something that i don't like to cook and i don't eat a lot of meat but i'm always very nervous about that like making sure meat's cooked all the way through so you don't so you don't get sick yeah i the one i always hear of is not to eat raw cookie dough because you'll get salmonella yes the, my mom was notorious for <laughs> no you can't have the batter you'll get yeah. salmonella but then she oh, proceeded to lick the spoon herself <laughs> yeah oh but what about cookie dough ice cream they must have some form of, of, the of the cookie dough cookie. without eggs yeah i think they make yeah. it without eggs yeah. Okay. yeah, I was getting but a little worried. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, no more, no more after this podcast. <laughs> that's right. Uh, um, that's I. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Then, so I guess this kind of vaccination that you're researching would be helping not just the people that are um, eating chicken and, and eggs and stuff like that, but also those that are working around the poultry um, as well. One more time, I promise. I'm gonna stop <laughs> piping in. I just this salmonella and like food poisoning and like all this stuff just. I don't know, it's got my mind going. Apparently, there is a controversial opinion where when you get chicken from the store, you're not supposed to rinse it. Is that true? Should we be rinsing our chicken because of the salmonella? Or by rinsing the chicken, 
does it contaminate our surfaces even more? Because like you said earlier, if it's coming from, obviously it's been processed and it's gone through the assembly line to get to our, um, uh, to our shelves, but are we supposed to be rinsing our chicken or not? Because it's a, it's a very 50, 50 divide. People get really heated about this. So I would like to our I don't know. I've actually, I, I've read, they say you should and say you shouldn't, but I haven't looked into it that much. I don't ever cook chicken. So it isn't really a concern to me. I guess I could see, um, I mean, I don't think just rinsing, I mean, rinsing with water might wash off the bacteria, but I don't know mm -hmm. how effective that would be. And I guess I could see the other side, if you're rinsing it, and say you're holding it, rinsing it, and then you touch your tap to turn it off. Now are you transferring potential salmonella to your tap and then you're gonna to touch that later? So I, I don't know. So I don't have an answer on what the, whether you should be rinsing your chicken or not. That's part two of this podcast. <laughs> should you rinse your chicken? Yes or no? You've become kind of the resident expert on this now, I think, so. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Carly. If anyone wants to know more about your research, is there a website that they can go to or an email they can reach you at or social media you'd like to share? Yeah, um, you can email me at uh, ccharro5 at uwo.ca. Um, I'm also not super active, but I'm on Facebook and Instagram if people want to reach out that way as well. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Carly. That wraps up our episode for today of GradCast. You've been listening to GradCast, the podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm Elizabeth Moeller. I'm your host. And today we've been joined by Rose and Carly Sharon. And our producer today was Reese Patterson. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out at gradcast.ca, connect with us on YouTube, and you can listen to podcasts of our show wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you've been inspired and want to talk about your own research. You can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.